Hello. Good morning. Is this Dr. Susan Noonan? Yes, it is. Good morning. And I just want to make sure that I get the uh, title of your book correct, Reconnecting After Isolation. I want to begin with The Bearded Fisherman. Apparently, there's a charity in England, a mental health charity called The Bearded Fisherman. And they have had a nightly suicide prevention patrol in and around a town in England called Gainsborough, England, looking for people in crisis. So it was founded by two gentlemen who actually had experience firsthand with some depression, anxiety, and some suicide attempts. And they created something called Nightwatch, where they went out to, to um, known suicide hotspots in their area and worked with emergency responders and the community members. And they resulted in some increase in the calls for support in crisis services as the community responded to their area. Now, this reflects a larger mental health strain across the world, not just in Britain. Right, and right. we know that little efforts like this locally can make a big difference. Well, I was uh, stunned by, in your book, you talk about a suicide hotline in L.A. would get 20, it got 22 calls per day in February of 2020. And 1,800 calls per day one month later as the pandemic really took hold. That is incredible, those numbers. Yeah, I was stunned by that. It's accurate numbers. I don't know what their current numbers this month are, but it elevated and persisted for a bit. And it is quite staggering to think of that. How would you describe mental health in the world today? I think we have greater burden on ourselves right now. There's a lot more stress and uncertainty and anxiety surrounding what is happening in the world. Not just with the pandemic, but uh, the trickle-down effects of the pandemic and economics and the way we interact with each other and violence in the world. And so there is great. there are greater numbers of people who are experiencing anxiety and depression for the first time in their lives. They're becoming a little bit more open about it than in the past, even though stigma still exists. And so in their efforts to receive, to recognize it and receive treatment, we found that there isn't really enough staffing. They're all overloaded and it's hard to get appointments to actually get help if you get to the point where you acknowledge it in yourself and you're prepared to get something. So I do think we are under a much greater burden right now. Resiliency is a theme that crops up throughout your book. How would you stoke or build on your resiliency? Sometimes I know you don't even know you have resiliency, but you just keep putting one yeah. foot in front of the other and it, and it works out, but it doesn't always work out that way for people. Right. In a lot of respect, resiliency is something that can be learned and improved over time. Uh, it's the ability to bounce back after adversity. And there are a number of things that we can, a person can do to build it, understanding your ability to understand the, the um, situation. But it includes keeping things in perspective, relying on your own inner strength, recognizing that you have them and then relying on them, um, and your core values what you prioritize and what you 
your idea of good and bad and the right and wrong way to do things. Making realistic goals, not pie-in-the-sky kinds of things, and trying to be flexible. Learning certain adaptive behaviors and, and skills to solve your problems, to manage stress and different challenges that come along. The ability to face fears, and we all have them, and, and other skills. There are actually 10 points in, um, in, in resiliency yes. um, uh, writing that um, a person who is considered to have resilience exhibits many of those same skills and points. And that was well described in a book in 2012 by Southwick and Fernie, so people can look that up. When you were going on about resiliency, I was thinking that the young people who I have encountered as society starts opening back up after the pandemic, they're not mature enough to handle and to be resilient in the face of all this uncertainty. If if you're 30, that's one thing. You've been through life a little bit. But I'm thinking of late teenagers, like 18, 19, and then early 20s when you're forming who you are and how you relate to the world, they're not able to do that. And so many of them seem to be falling apart or flailing uh, to find their footing. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's very true. Some of that has to do with the fact that it takes us until about the age of 25, 26, to actually um, polish our executive functioning skills, our ability to be organized, make reasonable decisions. So... They're still developing at the age of 18 or 19 or 20. And some of it has to do with their experiences in life and the way they were raised, not only in their own household, but their exposure to teachers or professionals or a clergy who may exhibit and role model. Being able to see a crisis as something you could deal with instead of being insurmountable and having confidence in your own abilities. Um, to accept change, to be able to take some some action in a very difficult situation, and to trust yourself and have confidence in yourself and your own instincts. So those things do take some time. Some people in in the late teens and early twenties have some resiliency skills and are developing them. Mm-hmm. Others less so. Right, especially if, if their parents want to be their buddies rather than their parent. That's right. You know, you need a, a good parent with resiliency skills to be able to teach that and pass that along and role model that. You talk about purpose in your book, too, so important in life, and sometimes that can be elusive. I know with retirement, it causes one to start reconsidering, I guess, the meaning of life, and you almost have to redefine your purpose. And so many people are doing that after the pandemic. That is very true. Um, we do need to anchor ourselves by having um, have meaningful activities and a purpose to our day, whether we're retired or working or working um, in a job that is not satisfactory and we're looking to do something a little bit different. Yeah. So being able to become aware of that and to incorporate purpose and structure into one's days is really very beneficial. Also, some I, I would have called them a few years ago 
minor things, but but they're huge. And I'm thinking about good self-care. It used to almost be like, oh, if you're spending a lot of time putting yourself together in the morning and you're almost a narcissist. But now there there's a, a new interest, I think, and rightly so, to be able to put yourself together, to care about that. You're not staying in your pajamas all day, but good self-care is so important to establishing resilience again. Oh, well, most definitely. It's something that we absolutely need to be able to be emotionally whole, to be able to take care of ourselves with healthy diet, exercise, sleep, a routine instructor, connecting socially and reaching out to other individuals makes a huge difference and I think that um, before it used to seem to be oh well you're just pampering yourselves or this is not what's important in the world but yeah. we've got begun to think that yes it does help us to manage our stress it does give us a good foundation for our healthy emotional health if uh, one is still working, especially working from home, as so many people still are, there are some mm-hmm. bits of advice that you give for that as well. What would they be? So actually, make sure that you try to separate your work and home life as best as you can. If you have a place in, in your home where you can make it a little work corner or even a room where you can designate it start time and an end time to your day and you go there without interruption as much as possible and engage in your work. Now, with families at home, that's become particularly difficult, but you at least need to make the, you need to make the effort. You need to understand that work does not extend to 20 hours a day answering emails. And so you need to send some messages to your supervisor that, in fact, you're available during these hours and set some boundaries and learn how to say no because that's going to be important for the entire household, not just for yourself. It's become particularly stressful with the uncertainty hanging over you and the idea that you're eternally available for work-related things. Juggling it takes some time. It takes some finesse. But I think there are people who have succeeded in that and have been able to do that. You can always turn off your phone. You you say in one point in the book, do what you can and that's it. Yes, yes. And in addition, you need to take periodic breaks during the day because back-to-back meetings or Zoom calls or work, it actually becomes adds to your stress. So you get up and you walk around a little bit, maybe go outside and walk around the block or just incorporate small breaks in the course of the day. Um, the unfortunate thing is we're losing that informal, interpersonal connection that we have at work, like the water cooler effect, sure. for example, where sometimes some brainstorming happens and some social connections happen. So you need to make a point of trying to incorporate that somehow in your work from home environment. Well, you have a lot of great suggestions and tips in the book, and thank you so much for writing it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. We're talking with Dr. Susan Noonan. She has a great new book out, Reconnecting After Isolation. Thank you again. Thank you, Pat.